This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. All right, Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Thank you. Well, it's one thing to know something in practice, in theory, I should say, and another thing entirely to know it in practice. It's one thing to know something in theory and something else entirely to actually put that thing to practice. So I was in the Army, and when I first enlisted, I was an infantry soldier. Now, when you're in the infantry, what you do is you're on the front lines, and you have to learn a lot of skills. you got to learn how to run under fire. You have to learn how to dig foxholes. you got to learn how to go out on patrol, and you have to learn how to react to an ambush when you walk into an ambush. And there's manuals for all of this. You got to read them. You got to study depending on your position in the squad and where you are. You have a certain job to do if an ambush hits and you happen to survive it. And so we, we studied this and we read it all and we get it all in our heads. And uh, when I was in infantry school, they do this thing where they have like war games. We actually go out and you're pretending life, but it feels very real. You're actually going into war. And so my squad was out in patrol and we walk right into an ambush. And it's, it's scary because, I mean, you know, you know, they're blanks because you have all the gear on that lights up and sounds when you actually get hit because it's all done by lasers, but still they're blanks in these weapons and it sounds like real life fire. And it's like, oh my goodness. And in that moment, all the theory, all the study you do kind of goes out the window it's like, now what do I do? Where do I go? I'm getting shot, you know? And it's like, it's crazy. And it's, it's one thing to know it in theory, but it's another thing entirely to actually put it into practice. Now, just so you feel better about the army, by the time we left, drill sergeant made sure we knew how to react to an ambush. And uh, I have uh, lots of push-ups to attest to the fact that we learned that well. But uh, so here all along in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the gospel in life. And I showed you in 1 Corinthians 15 where 
Paul's addressing all the difficulty that's facing the church in Corinth. And he says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. And he takes them back to the gospel. And then he defines it by saying the gospel is that Jesus died uh, for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. So he tells them the gospel, brings them back there. Last week I showed you from Luke 24 where Jesus takes his disciples from, and on the road to Emmaus and he goes back to Genesis and he says, this is the, I'm the point of the Bible. I'm in every text. I am the story of the Bible. It's all about me. It's all about the gospel, showing the meta narrative of the gospel as the story over all the other stories. It's the good news that Jesus came to save sinners. And so we showed you that. Did you get it? Did you take good notes? How are you doing living in the gospel? How'd you do this week actually living in the gospel? It's one thing to, to know it. It's another thing entirely to put it to practice. So today what I want to do is I want you to want to go to this psalm, Psalm 41, Psalm 42, specifically 4211. And I want to show you what it looks like to live in the gospel from this psalm. Because this psalm is, is amazing. And I think that it really helps illustrate this well. It's an interesting psalm because the, the psalmist, which is the sons of Korah, but the psalmist, it's all over the map here. Look at this. Uh, to take a look at uh, number one here. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Do you, do you have moments in your life where you feel that way? Oh man, I, I long for God. I'm just really, I really, I love God. And yeah, there's probably moments like that. And then there are some other good moments. Look at verse number eight. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. By night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Do you ever feel that way? You ever just feel close to God and I'm just praying and he's there and his steadfast love is before my eyes all day. But then look at verse nine. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I, oh, What? To figure out where you are, it's like he's on, he's on a roller coaster. He's got high moments and low moments and all of this, but he anchors it all in verse number 11. It's actually repeated. This phrase is repeated in verses 5 and 6 and then in verse number 11. Think at verse number 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I believe it's a great picture of how we live in the hope of the gospel. And that's the big idea of the day. Write that down. I will live. I will learn to live. I will learn to live in the hope of the gospel. Now, I have it there that way because it's something you have to learn to do. And today, I want to begin you on that journey, if you've not begun that yet, to learn what it means to live in the hope of the gospel. So here are some truths to help you with that. And just going to be honest this morning and write this first one down. Write truth number one down. We get discouraged. We get discouraged. What I love about Psalm 42, man, is it looks like real life. And that's the word of God. The life I see in the Bible is the life I see all around me. And I have moments like the psalmist does where I feel high and on a mountaintop and I feel close to God. And then I have moments when I'm discouraged and I feel down. And are you this way? Do you have moments like that? Do you get discouraged in life? Anybody else besides Jamie get discouraged? Yeah, a couple of you. Thank you for being honest. And if you're like, ah, I don't know how to screw, I feel like I'm a pretty chipper person. All right, Mr. Chipper. Uh, do you live like this all the time? Here's uh, Philippians 4.4. 4. Uh, rejoice in the Lord. What does it say? Hmm. And again, I say rejoice. So I, uh, I don't know about always. 
I don't know if you were to sum up the average mood of my life, if I would say the average mood that I live in is I am rejoicing. And if you got that down, how about this one, uh, Romans 5.3, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that our suffering produces endurance. Ah, really? We rejoice in our suffering? I don't know, Paul, maybe you do, (laughs) but I don't know if I do all the time. And if we're honest, you probably face lots of moments where you feel down and you feel discouraged. And I love how the psalm Psalms writes it, like, like he finds himself discouraged. Why are you discouraged? Why are you down? I have moments like that where I'm driving to work or sitting at my desk and just like, I just don't feel great today. I kind of feel down today. Why am I down? I had a moment like that a week ago on Saturday, and uh, I just, I don't know, just was feeling really down that day, just kind of feeling heavy. Things were heavy on me that day. Now, it just so happened that I'm in a group that memorizes Scripture, and uh, actually, we're all here in the building in this service, which is awesome because some live in Indy, some are here. We're all busy. Anyway, that group of guys from Memories and Scripture together happened to be in uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29. And Matthew eleven twenty eight twenty nine says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. And I will give rest to your souls from my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's the verse we're memorizing. And I'm like, I'm feeling heavy today. Like, what's up with this? So I got my journal out and I just started writing down, okay, what's weighing me down? So I'm feeling weighed down. What's weighing me down? I just began to make a list of things that are weighing me down. This is weighing me down and this is weighing me down and this is weighing me down. And that exercise was equal parts helpful and frustrating. Because I was able to, helpful to see that these are the key heart issues I always deal with. I talk about the four key heart issues a lot in our services in case you don't remember what they are. I, uh, pleasure, comfort, security, and approval. The one I deal with the most, the one I forgot. Yeah, uh, so approval. And like those are the four kind of key heart issues we're always kind of dealing with. And I looked at my list of what's burdening me. I'm like, I'm not feeling very approved of right now. And, you know, I'm not feeling very comfortable. Like, like I, I, I'm working a lot. I've got a lot going on. I haven't had a lot of days off. And I'm just feeling uncomfortable in life right now. And, and, and those four key heart issues were just, I mean, each one of them was what's weighing me down. And where should I go with that? Well, I should go to Christ with that. And I should go to the gospel. But point number one here, just let's all admit, we get discouraged. Right? Tell your neighbor, we get discouraged. Admit to say, own it, say, I get discouraged. Come on, tell your neighbor, I get discouraged. And don't say, Jamie gets discouraged, because I was talking about you, not me, just so you know. But we all get discouraged. Can I ask a couple of questions? Say yes. Do you find yourself in moments of discouragement? I wonder how often this is happening for you. And if you would be honest and say, I live here. I want to say to you again, intentional discipleship. Talk to your small group leader. We've tried to equip your small group leader to help you in those moments with some biblical counseling principles. And, and, if, and if they get stumped, then they're going to get to another trained biblical counselor to help you with that. But we want to help you live not in discouragement, but encouragement you have in Christ. But how often is this happening for you? If you were to stop and evaluate those moments, could you tie it to those key heart issues in your life? 
And how might that help you? So, yeah, we get discouraged. And then we do this. Take a look. Here's truth number two. So truth number one, we get discouraged. Truth number two, we look for solutions. We look for solutions. So here's what's going to happen. Play that scenario out in your head again, and you're driving to work, or you're sitting at your desk, or you're doing whatever you do on a Monday or Tuesday or whatever, and you find yourself discouraged. And so what's going to happen is you're going to go consult the most influential person in your life. You will. You'll go consult that person, and you're going to look for them to help you find hope somewhere. And you're thinking, well, I don't really call anybody. I don't like call my mom in that moment or my brother or whoever else. Like, what do you mean I go to the most influential person? No, you do, because the most influential person in your life is you. You're the most influential person in your life. In fact, Paul Tripp says it this way, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. And you do. It's exactly what the psalmist is doing. Take a look at verse number 11 again. Why are you downcast? And who is he, who is he addressing? His own soul. <laughs> Why are you downcast? Oh, my soul. I'm finding myself downcast. And he's going to preach to himself. He's going to say, hope in God. Now, he has to tell his soul to hope in God, probably because his soul was hoping in things other than God. Does that make sense? He has to tell his soul, hey, this is where to find hope, because the places where you're looking to find hope aren't bringing you hope. And let's get real. We look to some pretty stupid places for hope. For example, we look to food for hope. Can I get a witness? How many of you have done this? Okay, you've had a really bad morning. Oh, man, this morning has been tough. Frustrating meetings. Just I'm not feeling great. Why are you cast down all my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Oh, we're having sushi for lunch today. And I like sushi. That's good. I can't wait to get to lunch and hang out and eat some sushi. Can I get a witness? Sushi eaters? Nobody? Okay. We're having barbecue for lunch. Is that better? All right, you got all your things. Fried chicken would be really my thing, but I just didn't want to admit that. I want to say a little more healthy than fried chicken, but anyway, that's me. And we do, we console our soul with the hope of food. In his book, A Hunger for God, great book on fasting, John Piper said this, people tend to medicate their pain with food. They anesthetize themselves. It's hard word to say. Anesthetize. I can't say it right. They do that themselves uh, to the hurt inside by eating But this is not some rare technical syndrome. All of us do it, everybody, no exceptions. We all ease our discomfort using food and cover our unhappiness by setting our eyes on dinner time. Dumb place to look for hope. We also look social media for hope. Man, why are you downcast on my soul? Why are you turmoil within me? Let me see if anybody liked my post. That'll make me feel better. Let me find a funny meme. That's how they say it, right? Meme. Is that what pronounced? That's what the kids, Mimi? Is that what it is? <laughs> I'm going to go around saying that. Mimi. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, yeah, so maybe that'll, maybe that'll give me hope. And we're looking for social media, that little shot of dopamine to uh, bring us hope for the day. Sometimes we go to fantasy. Imagine some scenario in our head where, you know, we're awesome. And that'll give us hope. Did you ever do this as a kid? Like I I did this. 
uh, where your parents will come to you and they'll be upset with you and they'll yell at you. And then you'll go to your room to kind of sulk a little bit and you start thinking about your funeral. You know, one day I'm going to die. You all are going to cry at my funeral. You're going to say great things. You do this? You're going to say great things about me then. I was just doing that last week. But anyway, that's what we do. We just, you know, we long for, what is that? It's longing for adoration. It's longing for approval and imagining scenarios where people are dumping approval on us. And we go to just stupid things to find hope. But we all do it. Can we admit that? We all look for things to bring us hope. And where should we look for hope? Well, the text says it. Take a look at this. Love how the psalmist just drives right there. He says, why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? He's going to preach something to himself. He's going to say, hope in church, hope in God. And if I said to you this morning, hey, church, just hope in God. All you got to do is hope in God. You can sit here this morning and say, amen, we got to hope in God. But in reality, admit it, it's harder than than it seems it should be. Because all of us, or most of us, walk around with some lingering doubt if God really will come through. And if he will, will he come through in the way I want him to? At least this is true. The comfort that thinking of God should offer, considering how powerful he is and how much he loves us, and the the comfort that he should offer, the comfort we actually feel, is vastly disproportionate. Because he has amazing Love for us and amazing power to take care of whatever we have. But we don't feel it because we have some doubt. So here's what I'm going to tell you. What if there was some unquestionable proof of his love for you that you could go to? What if there was something that when you feel that turmoil in your soul you could go to this to really find hope and really remind yourself that's how much god loves me and i want to say to you that's exactly what the psalmist does look at your psalm again why are you cast down on my soul why are you in turmoil within me hope in god for yet shall i praise him i love the faith in that he knows that god's going to come through why because you're my salvation underline that word salvation You're my salvation and my God. My salvation and my God. See what he did? He went to the saving power of his God. He went to the truth that he has a God who saves him. That's called something. That good news that our God is a saving God, that's called something, church. What's that called? That's called the gospel. (laughs) So here, this is what I, I was very intentional about going to an Old Testament text as the main text for our sermon today. Because I want to show you, even here in the gospel, or, or even here in the Psalms, what's happening is the psalmist is going back to the truth of the gospel to bring him hope that he has a God who saves him. So write this down. We get discouraged, we look for solutions, and we need the gospel. Now, by the way, if you're like, man, we're really cooking through this sermon. We're going to be done early. Uh, no, we're not. I'm going to camp out here for a bit. <laughs> Love you. I'm going to camp out here for a bit because I really, I, I, this is really important. I got to show this to you. I got to show you that this is actually the biblical paradigm. This is the biblical paradigm 
uh, for what we do in preaching the gospel. Okay, this is something that the Bible goes to over and over again. So let me show this to you very, very clearly. We have it right here in this text, but it's not just here. It's over and over again. In fact, I'll say this way. Over and over, Bible authors connect life to the gospel in order to give us hope and motivation to live the Christian life. They connect life to the gospel. They make the gospel connections. Now, to show that to you, here's what I want you to see. There are a lot of authors will write it this way. They'll talk about gospel indicatives and gospel imperatives. Gospel indicatives and gospel imperatives, okay? Indicative is like a truth that we identify with, or, or as uh, Caitlin Meadows put it, uh, what God has already done on your behalf in Christ. So this is a truth that we can connect our identity to. It's an indicative that way. And then there are gospel imperatives the commands that come as a result of that. So what we are to do as a result of being in Christ. And this is what you see all throughout scripture. Now let me show this to you clearly so you have it. In fact, I want you just to look at this verse here and we'll do this together. Take a look first of all at Ephesians 4.32. It's on the screen here for you. Ephesians 4.32, which says this, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Okay. So do you see the imperative? Do you see the command? The command is be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and forgiving one another. Okay, how hard is that? Be honest. How hard is that? That's hard to do. Easy to read. But when you get into actual, real life, IRL, and you try to live this out, it is tough to be tenderhearted, to be kind. And when people have wronged you, really wronged you, it is tough to forgive. So do it. Why are you downcast on my soul? Why can't you forgive? Why can't you be more tenderhearted? Why can't you be more kind? Hope in my own self-discipline. I'm going to get this down. I'm going to be more loving. I'm going to be more kind. I'm going to be more kind this week. Look at where Paul takes him. He gives the imperative, the command, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving. Then he ties it back to the gospel. He makes the gospel connection as God in Christ forgave you. Hey, I'm going to forgive others when I live in the joy of the fact that Christ has forgiven me. And when I'm walking around rejoicing in my own forgiveness, of course I can forgive the Aaron's or the Christie's. Or what do you go by? Anyway, Aaron and Aaron, I can forgive them because Christ has forgiven me. Church, I need to make the gospel connection. I need to make the gospel connection. Okay, yeah, I'm going to buckle up. So I'm, I'm going to do a ton of these. So here's Ephesians 5.2. I want to show you. It is the biblical paradigm. Here's Ephesians 5.2. And walk in love. There's the command. Walk in love. Okay, the word walk, peripeteo, to, to, as you wander around, as you live your life and you're wandering around, perimeter around, peripeteo, as you wander around, what are you to walk? What should characterize your life as you walk around in life? The character of your life should be love. At home, in the church, at work, at Walmart. There it is. There it is. Now it's tough. By the way, I'm really glad it, the cars weren't invented because it didn't say and drive in love, so I'm good. I'm good. As you No, but even then, as you wander around, do that in love. And, and there's a command. How are you going to live it? Church, we've got to abandon duty. As a motivation, you got to abandon guilt and shame as a motivation. You got to abandon 
your own hope and your self-discipline and the future version of you as your hope here, what he does is he goes back to the gospel as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. The motivation was from the gospel. Not done, not even close. Keep going. Here's Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives. Easy enough? The wives are saying, should be pretty easy. (laughs) For me, it is. For most of you guys, it isn't, because I've met your wives. So uh, it could be really tough. I know. By the way, uh, I'm going to book out. As soon as the service is done, (laughs) I'm I'm gone. Um, Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. And and what are you going to do to to motivate yourself to love your wife? Your own duty? Your own self-discipline? Guilt and shame? No, no, no. Look at what he says. As Christ loved the church and gave himself. Do you see it over and over again? All the time. Here's the command, but the command is tied to the gospel. And the gospel is our hope and motivation to live that out. Okay, so I've just showed you Paul in the book of Ephesians. And that was really clear. But it's not just there, church. Take a look at this really weighty imperative. This is from 1 Peter 1.16 where it says, since it is written, you shall be, church, what does it say? Holy for I am holy. So the bar that God just set is his own holiness. How are you doing with that? That's an imperative. But now do this. Take your Bible and go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to show you this clearly in the text. 1 Peter chapter 1. Though if you're feeling really warm this morning, I want you to remember the uh, upcoming financial campaign. <laughs> Enough said. Just remember this and write that check. First Peter 1.16. I want you to see it in the text. Take a look at this. Let your eyeballs fall in verse number 16. See, it's there, right? Uh, verse number 16, be holy as I am holy. Okay, so there it is. In all your conduct, wow, that's huge. So we're called to be holy as God is holy. Uh, all right, but if I stood in the pulpit this morning and I pounded the pulpit and I preached to you, hey, be holy. Quit not being holy and start being holy. Just do it. That would be wicked and evil and cruel and unbiblical. Because look at what... Peter does first, and I want your eyeballs to fall in verse number three and check this out. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his church. What does your Bible say? Great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Uh, that is that is the gospel. Verse number four, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You don't keep it. God keeps it for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation to be revealed in the last time. Let your eyeballs fall in verse number 13. Take a look at this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. There again is an imperative. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace of that's to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How am I going to do all this? Well, if I set my hope on God's grace, not on my duty, not on my ability to keep this, but on the fact that I have grace through Jesus Christ. 
as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you will also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Do you see it? Before he ever got to be holy, he first drenched it in the gospel. Almost done. Can you bear one more with me? Say yes. Say please, Pastor. <laughs> Let's go to Deuteronomy 6, because I want to show this to you, not just in the New Testament. By the way, once you see these connections, you see them all over the place, because this is how the biblical authors write. They often connect it to the gospel. But I want you to see this now in Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, this is the, one of the awesome passages of Scripture to go, especially if you're a parent and you want to raise your kids right, and you want to have a home uh, that looks like what God would have it look like, it better look like this, because this is what we're taught in Deuteronomy 6. And I want you to see this carefully now. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Take a look at this. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And I love verse number 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. By the way, Jesus later calls that the greatest commandment. Look at verse 6. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You get the idea? He's saying, what are we saying over and over again? Love God with all your heart. Love God with all your heart. Love God with all your heart. Should be what we say over and over again to our kids. Now, let your eyeballs fall on verse number 20. There's a lot of doing a lot of, and that's like life-encompassing doing, life-encompassing imperatives. But check out what he does in verse number 20. When your son asks in, uh, in time to come, what's the meaning of the testimonies and statutes and the rules that the Lord God has commanded you? What are we going to keep all these rules? What's up with the rules? Yo, that's what they say today. That's how the kids talk. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I know, back in the 90s, maybe. Verse number 21. Then you shall, watch what he does, though. You shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes, and he brought us out from there, that he might give us the land in which he swore to give our fathers. See what he's doing? He's saying, why keep all these statutes? Because I am a saving God and I brought you out of Egypt. Do you get it? Even in the Old Testament, you take that phrase, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. That phrase, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. You're going to see that in Deuteronomy, in Leviticus, in Joshua, all throughout the Psalms. The psalmist goes back to our God is a saving God. Our God is a saving God. It's a gospel connection. It's a connection back to his grace. And that's what you do. We go back again and again and again to the gospel because that's what the Bible does. Now, let's put it all together, shall we? Let's put it all together, help you to live this out. Tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up. And you're going to need to probably motivate your soul a little bit. Everyone with me, everyone kind of wake up and you need some motivation. I mean, there are some of you that wake up and you're like, ah, good morning, sunshine. And then there are birds flying around and, and everybody else hates you. I mean, that's, you know, 
And so unless you're that person, um, you're probably going to wake up tomorrow morning and you're going to be like, ugh. John Piper said in one of his books, he said that he feels like he needs to get saved every morning. <laughs> Just like getting your soul right. And now we believe once saved, always saved. Don't go too far with that. But you get the idea. Like we need, so you're going to wake up tomorrow morning, you're going to be like, ugh. Or you're going to walk about your day and you're going to feel something happen that's just going to make your heart drop a little bit or your stomach churn a little bit. And, and why are you cast down, oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And you're going to preach something to yourself. And what I want to encourage you to do is learn how to live in the gospel. So preach the gospel to yourself. Tell yourself again, Christ died for my sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. And if the reason my heart is sinking because of security, if that's kind of your heart bucket, a lot of you deal with that. That's kind of the bucket that your heart tends to long for. If that's your heart, then here's a verse to write down that you can go to to help yourself. Write down Romans 8, 31 through 32. And let me show you where Paul goes to give hope in the gospel. Romans 8, 31 and 32. Can we read this together? Let's read this together. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? How do we know God's for us? Hold on. How do we know God's for us? There's a lot of stuff that's happened in my life where I'm like wondering, is God really for me? Well, let's keep reading. Verse number 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How do I know God's for me? been a lot of stuff that's happened in my life that I don't quite get. How do I know he's for me? Can I pin my hope to a thing, to an event? Yes, the gospel. He didn't spare Jesus. Why would he spare you anything that you need? And you tie that into Matthew 6, and you're going to find a lot of security. Maybe you're like me, and you struggle with the need for approval. And you're having a moment of, why is my heart downcast, my soul cast down? Why is my soul in turmoil within me? I don't feel like people like me today. <laughs> Maybe it's not you. It is me. Every day. Uh, you know, who likes me? Am I liked today? Here's a place where I drag my heart off in Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now it goes on to say in love he predestined us and all that and then it goes into verse number four but do you see he chose us. He chose us. On the playground of life (laughs) God picked me to be on his team. That never happened as a kid. <laughs> People saw me play basketball. They would never choose me. But, but God chose me and gave his son to die for me. Not everybody's chosen, but he chose me. Now what more approval do I need than the approval I have in Christ? Maybe you love your comfort and your comfort's being rocked. Where do I go? Where do I bring my need for comfort? Well, how about to the God of all comfort? 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of what church? 
mercies and the God of all comfort. His mercy was shown to me at the cross who comforts us in our affliction that we may be able to also comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we are ourselves comforted by God. God is our comfort and we know that he loves us because he's a God of mercies and he showed me his mercy at the cross. There's a gospel connection that brings me comfort. And the other one that I really wrestle with all the time, the, the heart desire for pleasure. And this is so good. This is Psalms. This is actually an Old Testament allusion, but it's awesome. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Now, hold on a second. How do we sinners get to be in God's presence? How do we get to be close to God? Can we draw near to God? Can you draw near to God? What makes you worthy of drawing near to God? Jesus Christ died for you. Adam read it this morning in worship. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. And I can come near to God because I've been forgiven so I can be in God's presence today, not because I'm a good boy, but because Christ died for my sin. And I just draw into him and at his right hand there are, what church? pleasures forevermore, not just now, but for all eternity. And all those desires are met in Christ. Okay, Matt, would you throw that big idea back up for me again? Here's where I'm, what I'm after today. I will learn to live in the hope of the gospel. I want you to see how it works. This is how it works. This is how it functions. It's one thing to know this is the gospel. It should be centered in my life. It's another thing to put it into practice. And I love Psalm six, uh, Psalm forty-two, eleven. Put it to memory. I quote that scripture more than any other scripture, probably to myself, and just tell my heart where to go for hope. My hope is in the gospel. But it's a learned thing because are you going to fail in this? Are you going to fail to live in the gospel? When you fail to live in the gospel, where should you go? To the gospel. Because he died for that failure and he rose again. And we're going to live in that and live in that and put that to practice as a lifestyle. And I'm praying this becomes a help to you to live your life differently even this week. Okay, I got two minutes left, but I'm just going to pray. I'll take about a minute and a half. It's going to get 30 seconds uh, early this morning. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your love and your goodness and thank you for all your word how real it is, how truthful it is, how much it looks like life, how practical it is. God, I just want to pray for my church. I love the people you've given me to shepherd. And I want them to live every day in the incredible joy of the gospel. And I want to pray that they'd be able to, we all would be able to do this more and more, help me to do it more and more. And then, Father, what we're going to do is we're going to find ourselves living life loved, we're going to find ourselves living life in the joy of forgiveness. It's just going to change everything. Help us to put it to practice for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Redemption, I'm about ready to say you are loved, but before I do, uh, we are going to need some help. Would you mind helping us stack up some chairs for, uh, to prepare for our dinner tonight? So just before you go, just many hands to make light work. Stack them up, put them on the both sides. Just stack them up, put them on the sides. Is that where you want them, Scott, both sides? All right, we'll do that, and uh, that'd be helpful. Thank you. You are loved.